And my name is Aaron Fritz. I've been attending faith for about nine years. Today's scripture is Psalm 90. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may not get a heart, so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is God's word. Thanks, Aaron. Good morning. Several years ago, I read a book in which the author argued rather persuasively, I think, that there will always be a need for the type of skills that some of us learned in high school shop class, okay? Things like basic carpentry, understanding how things work, being able to fix things. And in that context, he made this memorable statement I'll never forget. He said, nobody will ever hammer a nail over the internet, okay? Some things require an actual person to show up with skills and do something. The same thing is true in our spiritual life when you think about it. We always need other people to show up in our lives. Some things cannot be done remotely. We need people to show up in person to encourage us, to pray with us, to let us confess our sins to them, to speak the truth to us, to bear our burdens. And so we need others in the body of Christ. That's, that's true, absolutely. At the same time, there's one thing that nobody can do for you, okay? Nobody can seek God for you. Your mom can't seek God for you. Your Bible study or life group leader cannot seek God for you. Faithy free cannot seek God for you. You have to show up in person, in the presence of God, and seek God for yourself. This 21 days of prayer and fasting is simply an opportunity to seek God together with the rest of the church. And the topic we've chosen for this 21 days is experiencing God when life is hard. How do you experience God when life is hard? When sometimes you're so overwhelmed with 
troubles that you don't, you don't even know if God cares for you. And if you stop and think for, for just brief time, you, almost all of us can identify ways in which life is hard. For you, it may be a relationship, a relationship that's strained or broken, and it is just no end of grief in your heart. Or for you, it may be that, that there's some disappointment or uncertainty about the future. You've got some decision on the horizon, some uncertainty, and you're just troubled over it. Or for you, it may be some stronghold or some addiction in your life, and you've cried out to God, God, would you give me freedom? But it hasn't come yet. So the list could go on and on. Can you identify some way in which you, you are desperate for God to work in your life? In your life, it may be something that nobody else knows about. There may be some secret that you're suffering with, you're struggling with, and not a single other person knows about it. How can you experience God when life is hard? Well, to explore this question, the next four Sundays, beginning to today and the next three Sundays, we're going we're gonna to look at a block of psalms. It's book four of the psalms. I don't know if you've noticed, but the, the psalms are divided into five books. And the fourth book is Psalm 90 through Psalm 106. And these psalms are written for the benefit of a group of people whose life was very, very hard. They are written to the the nation of Israel in exile. And so because of their rebellion, because they would not turn back to God as a last resort, he called the Babylonians to take them 900 miles to to the east, and they were relocated in Babylon. And so there they were, their identity had been stripped from them, their security had been stripped from them, they had no king of their own, they had no temple to worship in, they had no land. It appeared as if God had abandoned them. It actually appeared as if the gods of Babylon were stronger than their God. And so they needed to know how to experience God in that toughest of all situations. And so what's fascinating is what these Psalms do is they rely, they rely upon a time a thousand years earlier when the nation had experienced an equally difficult time, namely the Exodus. They had been in, in slavery in Egypt, and God had rescued them, and he's taking them back to the promised land. But during this 40 years in the wilderness, it was a tough time. And these, this block of Psalms continually refers back to the Exodus and encourages the people in exile, don't repeat their sins. Learn from what happened to them. You can experience God if you will only seek him. And so today we're going to look at at, uh, Psalm 90. It's a prayer of Moses, the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms. And uh, the title is Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And this psalm teaches us that if we're going to experience God, when life is hard, we have to seek wisdom. We have to seek wisdom as if our life depended on it because our life does depend on it. We need wisdom that only God can give us. We don't need human wisdom. We need God to teach us and give us a heart of wisdom. And so Moses makes two simple points in this psalm. The first is found in verses 1 through 11, namely that life is short and troubled. Life is short and trouble. If you're over 30 30 years old, you're not going to argue with that one bit, right? Maybe if you're younger than that, the the older you get, the the more you look back and you're like, man, what happened? Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, I'm the age my parents were when whatever, you know. I, I 
had my first kid. Anyway, so life is short and troubled. It's an obvious point, but Moses tells us that the obvious implication is often ignored. We'll get to that in verse 11. But before talking about our lives, Moses talks about God. Verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. God has always been the true home for for his people, people who needed protection from the dangers of this world. He's always been our refuge, our shelter. He's always been the place of safety. As a matter of fact, before there, there even was a world, God was God. Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so he talks about the mountains. They're, they're kind of a symbol of permanence. If you go 500 miles to the west and you're looking at the Rocky Mountains there, you're just like permanent. Those mountains were there long before me. They're going to be there long after me. They're permanence and stability. Well, actually, Moses says, no, before God even gave birth to the mountains, he was God. God defines permanence. You want stability? Take refuge in God. By contrast, Moses points out in verse 3, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. So this is a reference to Genesis 3.19. Adam and Eve had sinned. And God pronounced the curse. He pronounced a death sentence on the human race. And he said to the man, you were created from the dust, you will return to the dust. And so whereas God is more permanent than the mountains, there's only a short period of time where we are not dust, okay? Now, why is that the case? Well, it's not simply because that's the way things are. We tend to grow up in this world and we say, well, everybody dies. That's just the way things are. But why does Moses say that's the way things are? Because God said so. God said, return, O man, to dust. And so if you, wanna, if you want, per, if you want to, to deal with your impermanence in this life, you're going to have to deal with God because he's the one that spoke and pronounce this, this death sentence on the human race. In verses 4, 5, and 6, Moses gives a series of image, images with em, emphasize how fleeting our lives really are. He says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. To us, a thousand years. I mean, if, if a generation is 40 years, that's 25 generations. We think 25 generations, that's a long time. But to God... That's like yesterday to us, or it's like a watch in the night. It's like four hours in the night to us. Verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. Our lives are like something swept away by a flood. There's fleeting as a dream. There is impermanent as grass. It's lush and green in the morning. The sun comes and it's burnt to a crisp by that night. And so that's our life. Life is short. But in verses 7 through 11, Moses links the shortness of our lives with what? The anger and the wrath of God. The book of Exodus, which we're going to be reading together during this 21 days, we'll read a couple of chapters a day. Uh, The book of Exodus really gives the context for understanding the anger of God. And it's, it's, it's really an amazing thing. In, in Exodus 34, God reveals himself to Moses 
He said, the Lord, the Lord is slow to anger, but abounding in loving kindness and truth. And so God is, is not a hothead, okay? He is slow to anger. If you make God angry, I mean, you've accomplished something monumental. And so God has a, has a long fuse. He's slow to anger. And so when you read about the anger of God, the wrath of God, you have to conclude that this is his reluctant but just response to a people who would not quit rebelling against him, would not trust him, would trust everyone and everything but God. And so from the perspective of both Testaments, this is not just an Old Testament uh, truth. In both Testaments, God's anger, anger towards sin is appropriate. The wrath of God is a given. And so beginning in verse 7, he says, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. Or it could be translated, we are terrified. And as you read Exodus, you will see that Moses and the children of Israel, they, they, they were terrified on many occasions. One time, Moses had to plead with God, Relent, turn from your anger, lest you destroy the entire nation. In verse 8, Moses admits, he says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your, your presence. And so it was a response to, our, to their sin that they had experienced God's wrath. Consequently, verse 9, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh or like a moan. We have this life and it, and it just ends like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone. They're soon. Life is very fleeting and we fly away. Sometimes you see a bird hopping around on a, on a fence or on a, on a branch, and then it just flies away. That's what our lives are like. We all know people who've flown away. They were here, and then they were not here. In light of the fact that life is short and troubled because of our sin, Moses asks a very profound question in verse 11. He says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you. And so Moses is basically asking the question, who is it that ponders and understand the power of your anger? Who actually gets that and then in response fears you appropriately? Who does that? And if you fear the Lord, you care more about what God thinks than what anybody else thinks. If you fear God, the, the worst case scenario is that the creator and the sustainer of the universe is angry with you because of the way you're living your life. And so uh, Moses asked the question, who actually lives their life mindful that they are accountable to God? And the implied answer is nobody. Nobody in their natural condition. In our day, it's much more common for people to think, maybe, you have thought this. Maybe you think this. It's much more common to think, you know, if, if God exists, he accepts me the way that I am. He knows I'm not perfect, and so I'm really not worried about God. Me and the man upstairs, we're good. I'm, don't worry about me. And uh, in other words, 
uh, we, in our natural condition, we don't consider the power of God's anger and fear him accordingly. We live our lives the way that we want, and we kind of assume that everything will work out. We think, you might even say, I don't even believe in the wrath of God. But just believing in something doesn't make it true. And from the perspective of the Bible, that is the most foolish way you can think and live your life. The Bible says, a fool says in their heart, there is no God. I'm not accountable to anybody. I'm, I can live my life however I want without consequence. The Bible teaches that all of us have sinned and, invite, and therefore we invite the wrath of God. And so the burning question in the Bible is, how can sinful people get rid of their sin and avert the wrath of God? That's the question. Can we do it by sacrifices? Can we do it just by following the rules? And the answer is, on your own, you cannot get rid of your own sin. Jeremiah asks the question, or he makes a statement, if a leopard could change its spots, then you could get rid of your sin. Yeah, good luck with that. That's not going to happen, right? And so the good news of the gospel is that what we could not do, we could not do, God did by sending his one and only son. God sent his sinless son into the world, and then Jesus gladly went to the cross on our behalf. Not grudgingly, he gladly went to the cross for us. 1 John 2, 2 says that he is the propitiation for our sin. That means that his death satisfied the wrath of God. Have you ever wondered why the cross was so brutal? Why couldn't Jesus have just come and just died in his sleep to pay for sin? Well, the brutality of the cross reflects the sinfulness of sin. The brutality of the cross reflects the wrath of God that our sin deserved. Again, the, the good news, and so you can't look at the cross and think that sin is no big deal, okay? Those two things don't go together. But the good news of the gospel is that if you place your full confidence in Jesus, your sin is fully forgiven, past, present, and future. Your sin is forgiven. Now you are as righteous as Jesus himself you are as alive to God as Jesus himself. If you are in Christ, you are in the safest place in the universe. The wrath that you deserve was poured out on Christ, and now God has zero wrath toward you. Zero. He is only full of affection for you. He is passionate about your well-being. He is more committed to your good than you can fathom. And so the fear of the Lord, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not this terror that you're one day going to be punished. No, if you're in Christ, there is no wrath of God toward you. There's no condemnation. There's no fear of judgment. Uh, his perfect love casts out that fear. And so we fear the Lord. It's a, it's a relational thing. Our deepest desire is to avoid grieving the one who is passionate for our good the one who has done the infinite, infinitely valuable thing of, of securing our salvation. And so since life is short and troubled, put your faith in Jesus Christ and cultivate this healthy fear of the Lord that guides the way you live your life. 
In other words, as Moses says in verse, seven, verse 12, seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Uh, Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so Moses prays for wisdom. In verse 12, he prays this. As one who feared the Lord, he said, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And so this is something God has to teach us. We don't just intuitively do this. We know it up here, but then we live our lives however we want and just trust it'll all work out. But no, God, teach us. And the the perspective here is, Lord, I realize that my time on on earth is finite. My my time on, on earth will one day come to an end like a sigh. It will be like yesterday. It will be like a watch in the night or like grass. Therefore, I don't want to waste my life. I want to live my life in a way that it takes, takes into account who you are and what you want. God, that's the way I want to live my life. Give me this heart of wisdom. Since we live from the heart, since we speak from the heart, since we think in our heart, that's where we need wisdom. And if we have wisdom in our heart, then we'll be able to live our lives skillfully. Wisdom basically means skillful living. You'll actually be able to live your life in a skillful way. You'll be skilled, meaning you'll align your life with God's. You'll be skilled in the way you speak, in the way you act. And so your life will be infinitely upgraded. But you'll also be one of those people who can show up in person for other people, and you will have skills that they need in their lives. So to sum it up, the brevity of life should make us desperate for wisdom, desperate for wisdom. So this is not a back burner issue. It's not the kind of thing you said, well, once I graduate from high school, then I'll seek, well, actually, once I, I get out of college, then I'll seek wisdom. I'll have more time. I won't have all the stress of school. Actually, once I get established in my career, then I can seek wisdom. Once the kids leave home, once, once I'm retired, then I'll be able to seek wisdom. No, if we, if we understand this, the brevity of life, it should make us desperate for wisdom now. And so our challenge to you during this 21-day experience is to seek wisdom in at least one area of your life, an area of your life where you, you desperately need it. And one way to think of it is this. Uh, It could be, first, what's one thing I need to stop doing? And then what's one thing I need to start doing or I need to start experiencing or start experiencing more fully? What is that? And so let's think about each of those. Uh, First of all, uh, what do I need to stop doing? Here's another way to ask the question. What is the stupidest thing you are doing right now? Seriously, you know it. It's, It's a stupid thing to do. You know it has the potential of sabotaging everything you hold dear in your life. What is it? What's something that the Bible would call foolish? Um, and so you can, you can answer that question a lot of different ways. It may be some sin issue. If you read the book of Proverbs, which talks about wisdom as much as any book in the Bible, one of the things it mentions over and over is sexual sin. And you think, why is the church so stuck on sexual sins? Well, uh, not because God is anti-sex. It's because God, sex is so precious and so powerful. It has to be confined within the security of marriage. 
okay? And so maybe it's some sexual sin that, that, that has entrapped you. Uh, Proverbs says it's like, it's dangerous. Can you walk on hot coals and not be burned? No, it's not possible. So maybe that's what you need to turn from. Or maybe you're holding a grudge, okay? It's been said that, that holding a grudge is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies, right? It doesn't work that way. Trust me, I tried that for years, okay? I held grudges, and it just, it's, it's just poison to your life. Maybe somebody has done something to you, and you just can't quit obsessing about it. Maybe that's what you need free from over the next 21 days. Or maybe it's speech. We've been talking about the tongue the last three weeks. Maybe you say too much, or maybe you say the wrong thing. You gossip or you slander. And so use the next three weeks to begin seeking wisdom from God. God, teach me how to stop doing something that's foolish. God gives grace when we fear him and walk in repentance. And so second, what's one way in which you need to start experiencing God more fully? The rest of the psalm gives us some ideas here. It tells us how, things that we can experience when life is hard. And some of these are obvious. Other things we're going to t- going to, that are mentioned here are quite surprising. In verse 13, uh, Moses prays this, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servant, servants. Maybe you need God to pity you, okay? Nobody wants pity, but that's what we need. God doesn't sell anything. He doesn't bargain for anything. You can't earn anything. He gives grace. He gives mercy. Maybe there's an area of your life where you just need God, pour out your pity upon me. Verses 14 and 15, Moses prays this. And this is surprising. You might have thought, well, life is so hard. Now, we have, we have sinned against God so often. We should just have a drab, uh, dark existence and just try to eke through this life. But Moses prays, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Sometimes we so downplay the importance of satisfaction and joy. We say, well, that's just, that's just emotions. Emotions don't count. No, there are godly emotions. Joy and satisfaction are your birthright in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit indwells us, and he is passionate about making us joyful. Even when life is hard, even when our circumstances disappoint us, we can have joy because God is satisfying. God's love can satisfy us. And if we aren't satisfied with his love, we will seek to be satisfied by other lesser loves, lesser pleasures. Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Cry out to God, God, we want to see you work in our lives and the lives of upcoming generations. God, you, you have to come through for us. And then verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God, even though our lives are short and they're often troubled and it's our fault much of the time, God, we still want our lives to count. You don't want to work 40, 60, 80 hours a week and have it work for, count for nothing, right? Right? 
Now, God, we want you to use the work that we do, the main thing you do every week. You want it to count, whether you're a student or you're raising kids or you're working at a paying job or you're volunteering. God, we want the work of our hands to matter for eternity. And so this is a prayer of faith and a prayer for wisdom. And so we're inviting you for the next 21 days it's long enough to actually get traction, but it's not so long where you would be absolutely exhausted by it for this next 21 days to join us for a time of prayer and fasting. It is an opportunity to seek wisdom. And you need to sign up if you want to, just if you want the resources that we offer. And so if you sign up, you can do through, so through the Church Center app, or if you, you can't or won't do that, take the connection card in front of you, and write 21 days on it, okay? Write 21 days, and then give us your email. Make it legible, because computers are very legalistic, okay? So your email, and 21 days, and you'll get an initial, initial email that will kind of explain an overview of it, and in there, there will be a, a simple guide to fasting. We want you to choose a way of fasting that works for you. It's been said that if, if praying is walking on a sidewalk, Praying and fasting is like walking on a moving sidewalk. It will get you where you want to go faster. If you are skilled at fasting, it will accelerate your seeking of God. And so you'll get that initial email, and then daily, it'll kind of show up right after midnight. You'll get an email with a, a simple reading guide. We're going to read a couple of chapters in Exodus most days, and then a simple prayer guide. And you can also pray for these things that God might have laid on your heart. But uh, sign up by, if you fill out this card, put it in the box right by the sound booth on the way out. But I don't want to get lost in the details. It's not about just doing a program. It's about seeking God because we are desperate, desperate for him to teach us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. And so, God, we're praying that you will use this next 21 days in powerful ways. God, our lives are short, and we really don't know how many days we have. But God, uh, this day, this week, these next three weeks, we want to seek you. It has to be by your power. God, sometimes we feel like giving up. Sometimes we don't even know if you're there. And so God, meet us. Thank you that, that those who seek, find. Those who knock, have the door open. Those who ask, are given. They receive. And so, God, we ask that you would meet us during this time. Lead us. Show up in power. In Jesus' name, amen.